Hi, I'm Harry. Hi, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. And we're recording under unusual circumstances, aren't we, Rory? Yes, and I suppose in some way somewhat appropriate in order to take our minds off the current global situation, we decided to watch a film all about uh, a world that exists post-zombie uh, apocalypse after a viral outbreak. We are recording from our own separate locations. I know this is part of a course for many a podcast, but usually we like to, you know, be in the room together and vibe off each other as best we can about whatever video game movie we're talking about. Flirt over the microphone. Yeah. Um, Hang on, we're brothers. But we're also from Somerset, so that kind of tracks. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, circumstances being what they are, with um, the current uh, situation, the pandemic, we are recording from our own homes via the miracle of telephonic technology. I realise you've danced around what the pandemic is. So just to be clear, this is the coronavirus we're talking about, not the zombie outbreak. <laughs> Which yes. happens a bit later. This is the C virus and not the T virus. Mm. But I just, um, just to put on my serious hat for a moment, I, I guess it is worth addressing this and, and maybe even providing a bit of a trigger warning. I mean, God knows you who have downloaded the episode entitled Resident Evil Afterlife. And so, you know, Resident Evil games go hand in hand with viruses. But, you know, if you're feeling a little bit like... You don't want to listen to two guys talk about a virus for 90 minutes. Maybe skip this episode to a little bit later. I mean, we're not going to take the mickey out of this thing. We we are here to forget about it for a little while. But um, yeah, I just wanted to say that out front. We don't want to stress anyone out more than usual. <laughs> yes. More than we have to. <laughs> Do we stress you out? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I thought our podcast was more of a relaxant than anything. Um, <laughs> a relaxant sounds like some like a form of um, yeah. What is it? Well, to help a relaxant help relieve stools. <laughs> yes. What was I trying to think? Laxative. Uh, laxative. That's the one. Laxatives. Anyway, speaking yes. of laxatives, we are doing the fourth Resident Evil <laughs> movie. <laughs> uh, yes. So it's it's it was more because it was about time that we did a Resident Evil film because God help us, there are so many of them. Um, but also but again, we we were going to be doing the big plan for this week was James Bond, wasn't it? And then that film got moved yeah. because of the virus. The first so, to do um... so, really, and then you know mm. everyone thought that's a little bit um, extreme to gone. move it all the way to November, and then everyone was like, oh no, actually, yeah, that's uh, kind of part of the course. My tin hat theory was that it was nothing to do with box office and it was everything to do with the villain's plot in No Time to Die. I thought it might involve viruses. And then, like, Peter Rabbit got moved. And I thought, mm, 
Is that going to be about viruses? Well, maybe myxomatosis. <laughs> In terms of um, sensitivities during the current crisis, one thing which doesn't seem to be moving, at least at time of recording, is the imminent release of Resident Evil 3, the remake of the classic PlayStation game. I can't tell whether that's due to Capcom either being sort of brazen or shrewd or just oblivious and ignorant. Um, but I, I guess it's it's sort of timely in that respect and they're not going to comment on it either way. They're just going to carry on with their uh, plan to release it as, as scheduled. But I think this also ties into why I'm A-OK with doing Resident Evil this week because, I mean, I had I had trepidations when I started this film that you know because i'm affected by this i've been working from home and i thought what i really want to watch this sort of thing but it has so little to do with actual viruses the the t virus cell is an actual t (laughs) and that's so fucking stupid so i think we're good and i think capcom's okay i think yeah weirdly if you look at netflix at the moment that uk's top trending stuff is all pandemic stuff. So Yeah, ITV2 showed Contagion the other night. <laughs> and uh, actually, I did see on the news there was footage of people having their temperatures checked going into a shop. And the mm. person who was doing the tests had a logo on his shirt, his security jacket. It said, Umbrella Security. I kid you not. Nice. And it was with the Umbrella logo. And it turns out there is a security firm in Birmingham who completely what? oblivious to this. <laughs> you say oblivious, I say Capcom got the idea for Resident Evil after a visitor's trip. <laughs> like visit, visit the office of Umbrella Corp in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah. I don't know whether <laughs> Capcom's based in Osaka. I don't know whether Osaka is twin with Birmingham. Probably not. We could have researched that, but didn't bother. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so I agree with what you're saying in that I think... The whole world of Resident Evil is so far removed from the reality of our current world that actually it did provide some sort of um, escapism in Mm. some respect. But to just go back to Resident Evil 3, I played the demo of that, um, which was released the other week. I don't think I'll be getting the game on release because there's still quite a bit of the previous Resident Evil 2 remake, which I need to go back and play. So uh, I'm not in a rush necessarily to play this new game. But the original PlayStation game, I, despite being a big Resident Evil fan, I only played that through once because a friend of mine let us borrow their PlayStation while they were on holiday. So we just played as much Tekken 3 as we could, um, being Nintendo boys, and played Resident Evil 3. And I sort of rushed through it using a game guide because I wanted to make sure I got to complete it before they came back from holiday. So my relationship hmm. with that game is probably one of the Resident Evil games which I'm not as familiar with, at least with the mainline series. Uh, so as much as I'm intrigued then to play the remake fully because it's a game I'm unfamiliar with, it also doesn't have the same hold as the Resident Evil 2 remake did. So I'm not sort of necessarily desperate to relive segments mm. from the game but the demo yeah, is less of a nostalgia factor. yeah yeah but the demo is is fine it just uses the same engine and, and mechanics as the previous remake so it's probably going to be a, a very slick game although i am a little bit dubious as to the nemesis aspect and how that's going to really be implemented because i liked mr x in resident evil 2 but he was used relatively sparingly and it would seem to be the case that with this new game nemesis is 
a more omnipresent um, foe, and he just seems really unfair. <laughs> I mean, you know, he is called Nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's meant to be the ultimate dickhead, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of other Resident Evil stuff, when I went to Japan in October last year, I got to go to Capcom Plaza in Tokyo, and a few friends and I, we had a go at Biohazard Valiant Raid, which, if you um, are very canny, you can spot that V and R, Valiant Raid, it was virtual reality. So it was a location-based Resident Evil VR experience. They had one based on Resident Evil. Well, that, that doesn't sound silly at all. <laughs> I do like sometimes Resident Evil games, like when they released a version of Resident Evil on the Nintendo DS, because it was on the DS, they gave it the subtitle Deadly Silence which has zero meaning whatsoever. Mm. But with this, uh, at Capcom Plaza, you could also play a version of Resident Evil 7 with VR, but we decided to do this other one where you're kind of an umbrella squad team, kind of like what you would see in Resident Evil 3, and you basically just have to go through a lab um, standing still. It's not one of those moving around VR experiences, but you just stand still and shoot lots of uh, zombies and monsters and liquors and stuff, so... It was fun. It sounds like you stand still, you can't move your head, you can't move your arms, you just, you're just actually just stood there with your face <laughs> pressed against the television. And they say, virtual reality! Yeah, now that you come to mention it, that's probably what happened. No, it was fine, it was good fun, it was nice to do something uh, like that, which is all you know, exclusive to, um, to Tokyo, etc. So... We had a ruddy good time with that. But uh, yes, this movie, Resident Evil Afterlife, doesn't really have a connection to Resident Evil 3. But it's just, a, you know, seizing the opportune moment to talk about Resident Evil when there's something Resident Evil related in the air. Got to jump on those hashtags. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. My history with Resident Evil 3... I don't think I've played it at all. I think I've watched you played it. And I always got a sense... It was like a lesser copy of the, of the second one. Um, but again, that's me playing as an outsider. It just seemed like, oh, it's a city again. Oh, it's a Mr. X again. It just always seems a little bit lesser. It does. Uh, yeah, it does seem to have a, a fan base, the Jill and Carlos fans and, and such. Mm. Although on the TV show, Dara O'Brien's Go 8-Bit... In the celebrity video game choice challenge, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis was TV's Bob Mortimer's pick of game to play. <laughs> Interesting. Um, which uh, he did the sort of mercenaries time attack mode. Didn't do very well, but <laughs> it was just uh, struck me as a very peculiar choice. From uh, Maybe it's Bob. not really his pick. Yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know. I guess we should move on maybe to talk about the film in question this time, the fourth Resident Evil movie, as we mentioned, and uh, Resident Evil Afterlife, released in 2010. It's uh, what is considered by the filmmakers, as much as anyone else, as something of a soft reboot for the franchise. It's kind of the launch of a second trilogy, using the same mm. characters and continuing that story. But uh, the films, in a way, and even the main character, kind of go through a little bit of a reboot in the process. Not that you'd notice. <laughs> sort of, by which I mean, you say the character 
gets rebooted because one of the big things which happens oh spoilers for resident evil afterlife yes we should have say that going forward spoilers she loses her superpowers at the start of this film but then just frequently does the things only a superpowered lady could do <laughs> yeah it's a little bit odd because she gets injected with the antivirus effectively and so those are attacking her super T-virus DNA cells because she's a perfect specimen who managed to bond with the T-virus like no one else before her, which has allowed her to be able to do all kinds of stuff, including psychic telekinetic blasts of energy. Um, but yeah, she still clearly knows how to leap really high and... Um, do all kinds of badass uh, kicks and punches and spins and leaps in the air. She's absolutely stabbed in her arm at one point. A knife goes right through her arm. Mm-hmm. And then she's brushed it off a few a few shots later. <laughs> yeah, just laughing and joking with everyone. I mean, maybe she's just super hard and badass. And I get weak at the knees if I trap my finger in a door. <laughs> Gosh, 2010, you say? Yes. Um, I remember seeing this at the cinema. And I actually... I think we... I think we saw them all in the cinema. <laughs> so um... I didn't see the fifth one in the cinema, but uh, the fourth one, yes, we saw it in the cinema. It was my first day as a new London resident. Yes. Because I had just moved to London and I like Dick Whittington. I decided to make my fortune in London and I celebrated the momentous occasion by going to see Resident Evil Afterlife. Yeah. With my new, with my new flatmate who I'd known for about two or three hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I had kind of a good time. Well, I think the other key thing to to mention about the Resident Evil films going forward is that this was the first in 3D. And that's a crucial point, I think, in terms of both rebooting the franchise to an extent, but also giving you an idea of the kind of action sequences and what the film does with it as a result so it was filmed in 3d using the same camera setup as james cameron used for avatar so it wasn't post conversion 2d to 3d it was all filmed i guess they call it Mm. native 3d bizarrely i completely forgot about this aspect until i located the trailer for this film Mm -hmm. and there was like an angry bouncer throttling me saying this is 3d you want 3d (laughs) and he tried to stuff 3d down my my eyes i've never seen a trailer which talks about how it's the camera the literal camera it's been filmed but it says this film was filmed with the i can't even remember the name of the camera so it's bad advertising really uh well you think you're going out and getting one yourself yeah I, (laughs) i didn't buy one ultimately um but yeah, it literally says this is the camera that we used, the same one as an avatar. Yeah, it's a little bit piggybacking on the most successful film of all time at that mm. point. But it, it did seem to do the trick because the film itself did end up with the best opening weekend of the franchise at that point in the States. And in the end, it doubled the worldwide box office of the previous film, um, ending with just under $300 million. So... It was definitely riding on that 3D boom at that time. And I guess there weren't too many films like that in 3D that was more sort of blockbusters and not, I guess, Mm. horror action. It's a funny old genre, isn't it, Resident Evil? I was writing this on the notes that, again, we, we know, there are some good Resident Evil films, there are some less good Resident Evil films... 
we've said before how it's like the only action film franchise with the same female protagonist for six odd films um but also yes it's this weird mix of action and horror i kind of forget the horror films but you know there's very eerie moments in this film there's blood and guts in this film it's just a it's kind of it's it's almost its own genre Mm. um and perhaps would command more respect if it wasn't sometimes thunderously stupid (laughs) so we mentioned uh previously in previous guest luke owen in his book lights camera game over how video game movies get made there's a chat with paul ws anderson about this film and all the resident evil films actually uh so paul ws anderson he returns to the directing chair having just written the previous two installments and he'd see the franchise through to the end from this point the first three films feel very different the second Mm. set of three films all feel like they blend into one sort of stylistically and tonally for for good or ill yeah because we we often get these mixed up a bit yeah Uh, particularly the titles i know the final chapter is the last one (laughs) but afterlife and retribution that's very rare in a horror franchise yes the final chapter happens to be the final one yeah but uh in the book uh, interview with anderson he does say uh for resident evil afterlife the needle shifted from rather than in the earlier films sort of 60 percent horror 40 percent other stuff he says uh we became 60 percent action science fiction and 40 percent horror so it's clearly an intentional shift um to move the films and steer uh, what they're trying to do with them in that way and repurpose it more like you know umbrella corporation as uh, evil sort of science based uh, sci-fi corporation rather than just strictly just um you know zombies and monsters attacking from left right and center i recently reread uh, frankenstein which of course asks the eternal question what if man played god and I think Resident Evil tries to answer, what if I ran and operated a pharmaceutical company which created zombies which took over the world and then made the world into a desert, but then back again because there's a sea in this film? <laughs> <laughs> it answers big questions is what I'm saying. Yeah, the biggest questions. Uh, I believe it was, um, yeah, what is it? Mary Shelley, Frankenstein otherwise known as a modern Prometheus, but originally it was going to be Frankenstein, a.k.a. Resident Evil Afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I she's not around to answer that question, so I'm going to say, yes, that was probably correct. I'm sure Mary Shelley would have loved the Resident Evil movies. Seems like her mm. bag. This was the start of an apocalypse that would sweep the entire world. That was five years ago. My name is Alice. The last survivors followed a radio signal to Alaska. This is Arcadia, broadcasting on the emergency frequency. We offer safety and security, food and shelter. But I could find only one. Claire, who did this to you? Umbrella. We have to move on. Our only chance for survival is finding the source of this signal. This is Arcadia. We offer safety and security, food and shelter. Come on! The men responsible for this disaster took refuge underground. 
Umbrella Corporation feel safe. Everything is quiet here. They feel secure. They're wrong. Now this is a pleasant surprise. So shall we um, get a bit of a plot from the video box that you have at your secret location you're broadcasting from? Yes, I'm broadcasting remotely, just like from the Arcadia um, mm-hmm. of the film. Sorry, it does make me think of when the nuclear button is pressed and we are living in a wasteland. There'll be people recording podcasts until the end of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... don't know how much longer I can do this. Next up, the 10 best starships in Star Trek. (laughs) All these essential um, broadcasts where future civilizations will be able to piece together our our, uh, listicles in audio form. So I'm looking at the uh, DVD box for Resident Evil Afterlife, which The Sun proclaims as the best Resident Evil sequel yet. Are they talking about the box or the film? They are talking about the film, I assume. But it is a snazzy box. Mila Jovovich looks very angry. Since we're recording separately, this is like the first time I, I can't see what you're seeing. So I'm, I'm going to have to take your word that Mila look, is looking angry. Is this the one where she's falling backwards through plate glass? Yes. She should really be concentrating what's what's immediately behind her, to be honest. <laughs> she's got a little parachute, maybe. I don't know. Um, it's really odd video boxes and movie posters in general aren't they i I have a thing about people posing in cast photos where all the characters in a tv show are in character but also posing and i'm like what situation happened in the walking dead where everyone stopped for a moment and turned to camera and you know rick grimes raises his gun while some other person is looking in the other direction i don't know anyway it's like the um promotional shots the batman and joker ones from the tim burton batman movie where they're just <laughs> you know michael keaton and jack nicholson in character palling around yeah batman he's right there <laughs> <laughs> not doing a very good good job world's greatest detective <laughs> he doesn't have peripheral vision with that cow he actually didn't know <laughs> yeah joker is just gradually behind him just Every time he turns left, Joker moves right, etc. Yeah, there'll be the occasional flash of a coloured handkerchief in the corner of his eye. (laughs) But Batman thinks he's going mad. Joker! (laughs) So, the Daily Star proclaims this pulse-pounding entertainment. I'm sure I've heard that before. And the blurb is as follows. After a one-woman assault on the Umbrella Corporation's fortress... Technically not. Technically, well... It is Technically, one yes. woman, just multiple clones of that woman. They had to think long and hard about the opening line. <laughs> Too much business. If they said, during a multiple woman... No, <laughs> it doesn't work. During <laughs> a, a, a one type of woman assault. <laughs> After a one woman assault on the Umbrella Corporation's fortress, Alice's, Miliovich, superhuman abilities are neutralised. Now, fleeing the undead masses created by the T-Virus, Alice reunites with Claire Redfield, Ali Larter, and her brother Chris, Wentworth Miller. Together they take refuge with other survivors in an abandoned prison, where a savage zombie mob stands between them and the safety of Arcadia. Escaping these bloodthirsty mutants will take an arsenal, 
but facing off with Albert Wesker and the Umbrella Corporation will take the fight for survival to a new level of danger. Mm. I'm intrigued. I like prisons. Um, is this going to be like porridge? <laughs> yeah. Well, the idea of casting Wentworth Miller, star of Prison Break, as Chris, he did seem to think it was a joke that yeah, they sort of started all... off like filming him. It seems like, I, I don't know, I haven't seen him in much else. I know that, for instance, he's recently been in The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, the DC CW stuff. Oh, yes, um, like um, an icy man. Yes. I this think, is definitely not his name. Well, I think his name is Captain Cold, so it's not exactly mm. the most imaginative. He's probably went through the big book of ice villain names and thought, oh, bollocks, just yeah. Captain Cold. But I guess, m- more intriguingly, he wrote the script for Stoker, the Park oh. Chan-wook movie. So mm. he's a, you know, noted screenwriter as as well as actor. He's not just an actor you see on Channel 5. He's got, he's <laughs> got potential, yes. this boy. Yes, but the whole sort of prison setting is a little bit of a different change of scenery and in the uh, I watched this with a kind of subtitle commentary and their whole thing about it was having all these torches around it so it was this mix of like medieval looking castle fortress slash you know technical modern prison mm. or whatever they thought the best way to utilize this brand new 3D technology was perpetual shadows <laughs> and occasional torch yeah but that aspect actually just reminded me, and to an extent, where the franchise goes and uh, and everything, just reminded me a lot of uh, Doomsday, the Neil Marshall film. Oh yeah, not as kind of bloody and gory and and such, and but this kind of mishmash of genres. And Doomsday, if you don't know, again is dealing with a viral outbreak, which this task force has to go into Scotland. And oh, God. <laughs> retrieve the antivirus from there, but it's been guarded by a bunch of cannibals slash Malcolm McDowell in a castle. It's a ludicrous film. But yes, uh, so a lot of this film takes place in a prison with a band of survivors there. But the way the film kicks off beforehand is actually set somewhere in the past. At least it's at the early stages of the viral outbreak. We are in Tokyo. We're in Japan, home of the Resident Evil games. Yeah, I thought this was a nice nod to the creators. Yeah, yeah. And they say, at least in the at the end of the previous film, Resident Evil Extinction, that that's where Umbrella headquarters are based. So we have, at least at the very start, we see the first viral outbreak where we see a girl attack a businessman on a, a kind of version of Shibuya Crossing. It's in the rain, so everyone's carrying umbrellas because it's the Umbrella Corporation. But yeah, there's that. Um, but this is, and I only really noticed this on this watch. <laughs> oh yeah, umbrellas. Um, but this is a super stylish opening. I really like it. So I really like the music. Uh, it's by uh, I think Tom mm-hmm. Tom and Andy. I often listen to this music when I was work. We've talked before about soundtracks we listen to at work. But it it reminds me of the opening of the first Resident Evil film how it really draws you in. And there is something uh, really a bit eerie about this woman just standing still in the pissing rain (laughs) and it's slow motion. I mean, half this film is slow motion. This film would be 45 minutes without the slow motion. I think Paul W.S. Anderson does not understand 
that slow motion isn't automatically cool. He's definitely subscribing to the Darth Morendi's Dark Place use of <laughs> slow motion. Anything was considered for slow motion. You know, if it wasn't dialogue, it yeah. was slow motion. But it works. It works here. It's. I mean, again, I said stylish. Again, I, I feel there's this real push-pull with Resident Evil where everything has to be super stylish. Everything has to be stylish. And, you know, it doesn't quite fit with... If you're trying to sell this being the end of the world and the apocalypse, it seems really weird. (laughs) But I I think it's also intentionally all the slow-mo is very much thinking about the 3D and, you know, giving you the time to take Mm. in everything so you can see every single raindrop. And there's a big fight sequence later on in a shower area with all these busted water Mm. pipes in it so you can see every single individual droplet this sort of follows my point because i distinctly remember reading a comic con report about resident evil afterlife so this, we're kind of at a point in in film history when i remember reading film news websites <laughs> and i've actually located i've located a 10 year old report by screen rant where um, they they talk about the footage, which was this slow motion fight with the ginormous axe wielding executioner monster mm-hmm. from Resi Five. Uh, Screen Rat says it wasn't very impressive. It looked too fake and felt very staged. Most of it was in slow motion, but it was too slow for an already slow action sequence. And yeah, I did notice that in the shower fight, how it was all slow. It was you got a big plodding monster. And you've got Mila Jovovich or um, Claire Redfield sort of slowly sliding underneath the monster's crutch. <laughs> and uh, I, um, I've re- I watched this twice, and on the second time around, I sort of skipped through that. Bit. Oh, really? But that's the crucial. That's like the poster shot trailer, mm. um, big central set piece, I suppose. That's, I know. I mean, brought that to Comic Con, and I can just imagine. Hall H. I'm going to say Hall H. I don't know if it was, but I'm going to imagine the whole audience were like, hmm, that's your best bit, is it? (laughs) Well, talking about the 3D in that sequence, apparently at the very end when Alice does shoot the axe man, the executioner's head apart, and uh, all the coins, because she stuffed her shotguns filled with quarters, so Mm -hmm. it creates more of a blast effect. And like when he falls down and all the coins fall out of him like he's a video game character. Um, but in that sequence, Billy Jovovich accidentally did shoot one of the 3D cameras. Uh, because you film with two cameras and a 3D setup, like they could still see her their reactions um, when uh, she accidentally shot it out. Um, yeah, I, I think that sequence is fine. But uh, <laughs> I, I think it's it's one of those things where... Yeah, it's definitely cool for the sake of being cool. I just, I realised in this fourth Resident Evil film, maybe Alice, the central character, is, just like Paul W.S. Anderson, devoted to looking cool. Mm. I mean, she just can't, it's her one thing <laughs> in the apocalypse. But, um, she's doing a video diary later on, and I, and as she was saying to the camera, I don't know how much longer I can do this, while she had perfect makeup. Mm. And perfect hair. <laughs> like every day she's doing her lippy and she's thinking, I don't know. I don't know how much longer I can do this. I need to look my best. Yeah, because she's basically, in the first film, she's got blonde hair. And by this point, she's got sort of brunette, darker hair. So does she dye her hair? Mm. I just thought it was excessively dirty. <laughs> 
I had a friend at school who said that he hadn't washed his hair in a month because it automatically cleans itself after a month. But I was just looking at his hair the entire time, waiting to see something crawl out of it. Does she does she do video diaries for any other reason than exposition? Yeah, she's <laughs> she's know. literally talking to the camera. Well, because she starts off every film with a little voiceover intro, and this is mm. no different. And so we catch up to four years later after the initial outbreak and we're back in Tokyo and it's uh, laid to waste and there's uh, an umbrella sniper up top and in Japanese he talks about a biohazard been taken down so I liked the fact that because the Resident Evil games are called biohazard in Mm -hmm. Japan. See I was watching this on Netflix and I think I've mentioned this on another episode but I think it might have been cut. Sometimes when you watch a Netflix movie and there's a mix of English and Japanese or Korean or whatever, mm-hmm. they don't bother subtitling the Japanese. It's not like on a DVD where somebody has subtitled Japanese bits. So it was like five minutes in before I realised, oh, I'm meant to be understanding what the <laughs> Japanese people are saying. Oh, okay. I mean, it was, pre- it was pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. It was like a bit, a bit of bants before they're both killed by a mysterious stranger. Mm. But uh, it was still like, oh, I'm... I'm meant to understand this, am I? I mean, it was most pronounced in Snowpiercer, which is in half Korean and half oh, God. English. Yeah. And I like it wasn't until about 20 minutes in where two Korean characters are talking to themselves. And I realized, oh, oh, they're not saying gobbledygook. They're <laughs> saying actual words, <laughs> which is not me slighting Korean. Don't get me wrong. I just thought it was not meant to be understood. Parasite should not have won an American Academy Award. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, so the the intro proper, I suppose, the first big sequence is the clone army of Alice's established at the end of the last film, infiltrating Umbrella headquarters in Tokyo and causing all kinds of... Um, nuisance. Nuisance. <laughs> yeah, so it's lots of just... Code 4, maximum nuisance. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I guess, like, this is one of those sequences where I can see how this is meant to be cool, because she's doing all kinds of flips and spins, and... She throws ninja stars, which are, yes, work well in 3D, but also much worse than uh, a gun. I don't know whether she's just kind of, like... Is this cultural appropriation? <laughs> like travelling to Japan? When in Tokyo, use a ninja star. Yeah, get the shurikens and katana out. But uh, it's it's some very silly OTT stuff. And I think it's the case of the whole film is that it's sort of equal parts slick and sloppy. There's like... Mm. Lo- <laughs> I want slick and sloppy. That sounds like, um, that's a Pornhub title. Oh dear. But the way she's like, she's dispatching all these guards and it's all jolly lovely and stuff. But then she kind of leaps awkwardly into the air and she does a sort of spin like she's definitely on wires. Yeah, she looks like Peter Pan in Panto. Yeah, and then she sort of hangs in the air and I guess you could say it's psychic abilities and, you know, telekinesis or whatever. But I think it's just rather um, sloppy stuff. And I think... Part of it is because the 3D cameras, they're fairly unwieldy, so it makes it, you know, doing stuff like location shooting and doing these kind of complex action sequences just a little bit trickier. Maybe that bit when she's spinning around looked really great in 3D and you could almost reach out and touch her like she's just spinning in the air right in front of your eyes. <laughs> but I don't, I don't remember seeing this in 3D. I don't think I have. Oh, no, I think it was in 3D we watched it. 
Nobody cares, Mr. 3D Maker Man. <laughs> yeah. But we are also, in this sequence, reintroduced to Chairman Albert Wesker, uh, played in this movie uh, by Sean Roberts, replacing, in the previous movie, Jason O'Mara, who couldn't do it, apparently unavailable due to TV commitments. But I think I probably... He was on Action News. <laughs> Is that slander? I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. I'll research that later. But yeah, this version of Wesker is probably a bit more like the video game version, at least at this point in the series. And he's fine, I suppose. I freaking love this Wesker. Okay. I think he's got the Wesker smirk. And I think actually we've been getting a a little Wesker blue balls (laughs) in this film franchise because you and I love Wesker we love a, a, a sort of villain like this. Well, I think particularly this whole film uh, is taking its inspirations predominantly from Resident Evil 5. So we mentioned the Executioner, the Axeman, that's a character mm-hmm. that appears in Resident Evil 5. The way the uh, zombies have changed, they've mutated and some of them have kind of leech-like mouths which open up and grab people. And that's... I thought they'd actually mention mutation at all but no they just they just are that now yeah they just drop them in it's the same with the zombie dogs later on they kind of split their heads open the thing style and that's again very much like from resident evil 5 but this version of wester is you know the the character has evolved in the games i think in resident evil code veronica that's the first time where he's like super powered and I always remember the cutscene where Chris Redfield meets Wester again for the first time and it's we're like, Wester still alive. Oh my god, before you said that, I that just popped into my head. Yeah, and Wester's saying, I've sold my soul to a new organization. I forgot what that organization was. What was that again? Yeah, it never really came about. I was so like intrigued by it. In Resident Evil Code Veronica there's a a mini game where you can play as Wesker and he's got a little logo which says HCF. Mm. And I was like, oh, that must be the new organisation. And then I don't be? think anything really happened with it. Back when you were young and stupid and thought everything had been thought out. <laughs> There's this weird disconnect where Alice feels like Umbrella is dealt with by the end of the first act. And then when Umbrella shows up at the end, it's like treated as this big surprise. <laughs> but I'm like, literally every problem in the world is Umbrella. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like, thanks Umbama, but thanks Umbrella. Well, I think if you um, break into the HQ and deal with the big bad there, then um, everything else will follow suit, I suppose. Mm. Um, you kill the head, Umbrella. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Well, this is a very silly sequence. A lot of fun. More CGI maps of the underground base because it ain't a Resident Evil film without CGI map. But it it does make this you know redressed office building feel massive. Yeah, particularly when she abseils down, guns blazing, this yep. endless, endless... Well, they're underground. So mm. is it just like a giant shaft? <laughs> I'm just amazed that Tokyo didn't collapse underneath this chasm beneath it. And again, you see these massive CGI maps of the facility. And I thought, do you know how difficult it is to construct like a city underneath the city? Because I've had plenty of experience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like the escape helipad, which Wesker flees on. 
it opens up directly underneath the Shibuya Scramble Crossing, one of the busiest pedestrian crossings, possibly the busiest in the world. So if there was any other situation, mm-hmm. like during the day when there wasn't a viral outbreak where Wester decided to take his, you know, helicopter out for a spin. Oh, it's not a helicopter. What do you think it's called? Um, a, 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 a heliplane? It's called a tilt rotor. A tilt rotor? I think so. I Wikipedia'd it because I wanted to be correct. Okay. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong though. Well, Wester takes out his tilt rotor whenever he lights. It's going to cause all kinds of chaos. It rather gives away where their secret base is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Perhaps there's a door. There's a sign in a door which says only use in case of clone attack. (laughs) I did rather enjoy... The um, the shot of the tilt rotor escaping, pursued by three clones of Alice, their arms outstretched like there are golden eye characters, and I like to think that was intentional. They look like video game avatars. Okay, not just like bad direction. <laughs> no, not at all. It was all intentional. It was all part of my plan. I think we'll probably talk about Wesker a little bit later, but um, I think the fact is we've had Jill Valentine who looks a bit silly. We've had Claire, who doesn't really look like um, Claire in the in the Resident Evil Three subtitled. I have already forgotten. <laughs> um, Chris doesn't really look like Chris, so I'm just. I think this is the first time we've had a video game character from the Resident Evil franchise looking like he should, and I, I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. What I did find weird was Alice pretty much using all her cloned sisters as cannon fodder. (laughs) And they didn't really care about each other either. I mean, I thought for a moment that maybe they just, they are fully aware they are like half people. (laughs) But when Wesker is escaping in his tri-rota and the place is about to explode and all the Alice clones know it's about to explode, they are screaming, get out of here, go, everyone go. And I thought, fucking hell, that's dark. Yeah. But only one, uh, one of the clones says, that's no way to treat a lady, which seems a bit shitty. And that line pops up at the end of the credits as well. For some reason, they just drop in, hey boys, that's no way to treat a lady. What, at the very end of the credits? Yeah, if you watch the credits all the way to the end, it just repeats that line of dialogue. I did not do my duty there. It wasn't, hey boys, you're all wet. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Tomb Raider reference, just in case you didn't listen to our Tomb Raider 2 episode. Yes, listen to the Cradle of Life episode for the contest. But yeah, uh, Wesker performs a super purge, which isn't like a detox, but sets off a giant Akira-style bomb, which wipes out Mm -hmm. the Umbrella facility or the clone army, thereby rendering the events of Resident Evil Extinction null and void and uh, with it all of Tokyo. To get rid of any evidence because he doesn't want the the government to get him. (laughs) Doesn't want zombies finding out what's been going on. But real Alice has stowed aboard the Tri-Rota and that's when Wesker quickly acts and injects her with the antivirus, removes all her powers and they uh, crash into Mount Fuji. (laughs) So a couple of things happen. Firstly, Alice somehow knew that Wesker's fallback plan was to get on this tri-rotor. Although I suppose she got a clue when she saw a door saying, only use in case of clone attack. <laughs> she gets on the tri-rotor, and then I noticed Wesker was... Um, he hadn't put any music on. 
like nothing to pass the time. <laughs> so my suspicions were raised. Then Wesker attacks Alice with this syringe, wiping her superpowers. And then Wesker forgets who's flying the Tri-Rotor. Because <laughs> he's coming up to Alice. And Alice says, thank you for making me human. And then the the plane goes, alert, alert, alert. And Wesker's like, oh shit, yeah, that was me flying the plane, wasn't it? <laughs> and um, But also Alice says, thank you for making me human. And then immediately survives a fatal plane crash. I mean, we even see flames engulf her in slow motion. I guess the antivirus was working... At the time, so it's like, okay, you're gradually going to become human, but you can still survive a plane crash for now. Give it a few more months and you'll be um, tippity-top again. I mean, I genuinely am interested to see or to hear or to read any minutes from meetings where they discuss this sort of thing. Did anyone at any point say, okay, on this page she says, thank you for making me human, and on the very next page... She f- flies headlong at full speed into Mount Fuji, <laughs> <laughs> and they and Paul Anderson's like, who fucking cares? <laughs> so six months later, Alice's quest is to reunite with the rest of the survivors from the previous film, and she's looking for Arcadia, which is broadcasting an emergency frequency, saying this is where the survivors are. She's been flying in a plane and recording video diaries for 177 days without a sign of life, and ends up in Alaska at an abandoned airfield, and leading into the ocean, and that's where she sees no signs of life, thinks all is lost, but then up pops Claire Redfield. I didn't really realise it was Claire at the start. I mean, it's really strange, these films, because I always forget that they do sort (laughs) sort of connect, but... I don't really recognise a grubby Claire Redfield. I just never expect them to bring back any characters Mm -hmm. like in previous films. And they do, actually, to an extent, but they seem to pick and choose just who's available (laughs) in their diaries. Mm. But uh, yes, the reason why she's suddenly attacking good friend Alice from the past is that she has this scarab-like device on her chest which is injecting her with a drug causing memory loss. (sighs) I kind of missed that. I mean, the first thing Alice does when she sees Claire unconscious on her back is reach up and start feeling her chest. And I didn't quite see the scarab. I thought she was just copying a feel. (laughs) Well, maybe she's just checking she's still breathing or, you know, Mm. heart's beating. The scarab thing's a bit strange. Well, you know they're from Resident Evil 5, right? I do. But um, skipping right to the end, we see it again. Yes. In a series which does its level best to ignore most things from the games, um, it seems a weird bit of game representation that you would definitely only know if you knew Resident Evil 5, otherwise it looks excessively silly. They've taken one of the silliest things from one of the silliest games in an already quite silly franchise. (laughs) It's just Mm -hmm. like... If you want to represent different parts of game lore, there's plenty out there, but you want to pick up the mind-controlling scarabs, which are mm. only in this one game, which latched onto someone's chest. There's this whole sequence in Resident Evil 5, you're playing as the Chris Redfield character, and uh, Jill Valentine has been kidnapped by Wesker and is now 
being mind controlled with this device. What you say, tied to the train tracks and the steam train's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's twirling his moustache, he's just grown for this purpose. Ooh, Wesker! <laughs> But yeah, she's been controlled and it has one of my favourite context-sensitive button presses, which is Entreat. So basically, you're having this fight sequence, she's like coming at you and kicking and stuff, and you have to press the button at certain moments, so you have to say like, Jill, it's me, Chris! (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of the stupidest parts of a very stupid game. Nice move, Chris. But now that your partner has arrived, I'll leave you two to catch up. Come on, Jill! Get yourself together, wake up! Jill Valentine! Jill. Remarkable. Still resisting at such an advanced stage. Commendable. Yet futile. No more time for games, Chris. I've got work to do. Have fun watching Jill suffer. Wait, what did you do to her? What's that on her chest? We have to get it off her. Considering it takes a lot from Resident Evil 5, as we mentioned, at least no one in this film punches a boulder and the finale doesn't take place in the middle of a volcano. So it has that, at least, on its side. It doesn't go full Resident Evil 5 in that respect, but boy howdy, it definitely does pick some right moments. I think just with the Scarab thing, it looks like it comes from a video game. It looks like the sort of thing which would be designed by sort of goth fanboys and um it doesn't seem to match any of the technology we've seen so far yeah i say that but then nemesis was full of straps and buckles so maybe i'm I'm talking out of my ass here rory nah you're fine (laughs) (laughs) i mean i can't see you right now so i assume you're not talking out of your ass Mm -hmm. alice asks claire the million dollar question who did this to you? And I'm thinking, uh, I'm going to guess Umbrella. <laughs> but uh, Alice stuffs Claire into her lovely plane and they start flying to find some civilization. And I was amused that Claire keeps asking to be cut loose from her very loose bindings. <laughs> like there's a massive thing she could pull with her teeth, a massive thread. But she decides, no, I need to be, I need to be cut loose. That idea to find civilization uh, heading to Los Angeles seems like maybe one of the worst ideas because if there isn't civilization there's going to be a hell of a lot of zombies instead but it's hard to tell how long it's been going on for because there's still like burning buildings smoldering well that's that's how los angeles looks like anyway yeah doesn't it yeah the hollywood (laughs) sign up and smoke (laughs) on a permanent basis it's just the movies which fool us into thinking it's all perfect Mm. i'm disappointed how in the Resident Evil universe, which contains places adorably called Raccoon City, that this place wasn't called Angel City or something. Lost Angelfish. Lost Angelfish. That's what I'm going to call Los Angeles now. <laughs> but yes, they're on a quest to find survivors, and they find a bunch holed up in a maximum security prison, 
which they very awkwardly decide to land. And I, mm. I it just seems like, a, again, another bad idea because they've got a two-seater plane, which only fits themselves. And they only just managed to land there without falling off the top of this prison building. And I guess I know that they're trying to find Arcadia and they're trying to get an emergency broadcast, yada, yada, yada. But Well, no, at this point, they've been to Arcadia and they know... She thinks it's a lie, so she doesn't know Arcadia's right there. Right. So by complete coincidence, she parks almost next door to Arcadia. Yeah. Maybe she just wants to see if there are, you know, any friendly murderers or rapists down there. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a bit strange. I mean, I got a bit of a Walking Dead vibe because I, I read the comics and uh, in the comics they... um went to a prison around about 2004 and this yes. film 2010 and in the tv series yeah that's 2012 okay. i mean it's a pretty it's a pretty obvious place to have a, a zombie siege so i don't really begrudge it I, I haven't been watching the most recent the walking dead but i i did i think that was maybe my favorite setting and series of the of the tv show was the prison seasons i think it was the best use of setting the best band mm. of characters all together i quickly bounced out of the walking dead tv show because it like every single time it recreated a bit from the book i was like it's better in the book yeah. and i know it was a tv budget and everything but i got very fixated on how all the zombie extras would always keep to like concrete paths and <laughs> not act not act like they're undead they're act like they're actors who could barely see through their contacts which of course is what they were mm. <laughs> but yes it's um a pretty cool setting but yeah i don't know quite what she lands there i think it's just maybe just the conversation with claire is that bad <laughs> <laughs> she's like oh god i'm gonna if you don't shut up i'm gonna land this plane the first flat surface i find <laughs> we've not mentioned how claire has my perennial pet peeve which is she has memory loss, but is remembering via flashbacks. And Alice, of course, had this in the first film. And she's probably thinking, no, no, that's my thing. <laughs> it's my thing to remember stuff via convenient flashbacks. Don't you get flashbacky on me. I mean, weirdly, it's the first flashback Claire really has is they're on the beach and she remembers soldiers coming for them. And then later on, they see an umbrella logo on that in Arcadia, and then Claire has an update, a system update to her original <laughs> flashback, and says, I remember they were umbrella soldiers, but there was nothing on their uniforms to denote their umbrella, so I just really hate this sort of thing. <laughs> I just hate how she... Maybe, but Len, I have to remind myself, maybe Resident Evil, the films, are set in a universe where everything is fixed by flashbacks, so... The more you remember that time you cut yourself, you're like, oh, I remember cutting myself. I mean, it's just fixed that little bit more. Yeah, I, I just like the time to put those things together as well was the fact that once they reach the prison, they find out that Arcadia is a ship sailing along the coast. And it's just like, oh, Arcadia is a ship. Claire went to Arcadia and she remembers a ship. To be fair, I think the audio is this is Arcadia. Like, who... If you're on a boat, you would say this is the SS Arcadia or something. You made it very vague there, dude. Yeah. Like, this is the captain of the ship, Arcadia. Yeah. I mean, it should say, this is Arcadia. There is no infection. By the way, we're a boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we're out to sea if you need us. <laughs> Shall we talk about the survivors they encountered then? Because 
even though each of the films has a band of survivors, this film, I don't know, feels like a different selection. To me, it feels more like maybe just the way it's shot and, and that sort of thing and how it looks. I definitely got more Dawn of the Dead remake, the Zack Snyder version vibes from this kind of band of people. Mm. I, I quite like this band. There are some complete non-entities, but there's also ones I rather enjoy spending time with. Yeah, I guess the sort of key ones are Luthor West, played by Boris Kujo, who is a basketball star and um, is pointed out his fame to everyone via a billboard of him advertising a Tag Heuer watch. Uh, yeah, I think that's a really nice little detail, though. Yeah. That really sells, you know, how we're post-apocalypse, how we're at the end of times, and um, it's a very, speaking of watches. <laughs> yeah, it's a very nice shorthand for a character as well. Just like, yep, that's who I am. You don't know me, but in the context of this film, people do. It's quite nice to have a, a celebrity character be kind of quite down-to-earth and, and just like a dude, isn't it? Yeah. I guess the other key one is... The character of Bennett, who is a sleazy Hollywood movie producer, played by the actor Kim Coates, who, as well as appearing in The Lights of Prison Break, the aforementioned, and Sons of Anarchy, he's also in the Silent Hill movie. So oh. we will um, be reintroduced to him at a later stage. But I thought I recognised him from something, but I think it's because he looks a lot like Tom Savini. Yes, he does, does definitely have a, a Tom Savini vibe to him and you know as as far as the comic relief characters in the band of survivors go i kind of i always like a sort of complete dickhead (laughs) Mm -hmm. um it always adds an extra i don't know fun dimension to have someone who's going out their way to be horrible to everyone else like most dickheads in these sort of films they're usually kind of right (laughs) yeah like this is a crazy idea and then most of them die yeah. And then the hero's like, at least I tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because later on, he basically gets in their escape plane and flies off to Arcadia, leaving everyone else stranded, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's <sighs> made sense. It's only got two seats. <laughs> I did notice how, like, most characters know how to operate flying machines. Like, I was actually kind of impressed how Wesker was flying this tri-rotor he's like him like he's like richard branson he just he knows how to control everything i think it probably suggests that i should maybe take a flying course or at least do a sort of flying simulator like in the krypton factor yeah after this is all over i'm gonna learn how to fly a tri-rotor <laughs> <laughs> just in case do you think the krypton factor was like a kind of secret government initiative to train people up for the apocalypse because they had to test like observational skills and agility and be able to land a plane and solve complex 3d puzzles it was all about who would end up probably going into space um moonraker style to restart the human race who is the best of the best it's a good theory rory but for a secret training program it was broadcast on itv but it's a front Uh, that's the thing (laughs) i see in, you know, hide in plain sight. Well, I might cut this bit out because I don't want the feds to get us because <laughs> we've cracked their code. Well, now I know how to do the Krypton Factor movie um, adaptation. <laughs> Although, I don't know. I'm a bit scared that our last best hope 
was somebody who could do quite well in an assault course in the 80s and is now <laughs> probably a little bit past it. <laughs> yeah, um, there's also the actress character called Crystal because it's LA and you can't move without meeting a producer and an actress. Uh, she says that she was uh, waited a lot of tables and because I don't know this actress, I'm assuming she probably has done that. She is played by Casey Barnfield, uh, an alumnus of Grange Hill. Wow. And the Inbetweeners. As soon as you said Grange Hill, I had the music in my head, so, you know. Mm-hmm. She was also the lead in Roadkill, a film by director Johannes Roberts. Oh, yes, my friend. Yes. <laughs> yes, who's also scheduled to be directing the next Resident Evil movie. Maybe we'll see a return for the character Crystal. <laughs> Maybe. There's a few other characters there just for um, zombie fodder purposes, really. But the star pupil, <laughs> as it were, the star prisoner, is, uh, of course, Prison Break himself, uh, Chris Redfield. Yes, Mr. Prison Break. It really stretching himself. He's trapped in a cage, Hannibal Lecter style, and everyone assumes he's a psycho, probably because he really does act like a psycho. Maybe if he just acted really wimpy, like, help, I'm really scared, get me out. Hey, hey guys, I shouldn't be here. But yeah, he's doing all this cryptic stuff about saying, I know we're way out of here, so you best let me out so I can tell you. Name's Chris. You were the one flying that plane. How do you know that? Wendell isn't the only one that hears things. I'm glad you made it. Maybe you can talk some sense into these people. What do you mean? Isn't it obvious? I'm not a prisoner. I shouldn't be in here. I was working with a military unit. We're using this place as a staging post. Things were already pretty bad when the order came through from the governor to release all the inmates. You see, we needed as many people on the streets as possible to fight those things. And it was chaos. We were pulling out and a gang of the prisoners jumped me. Guess they thought I was a guard. I woke up, my unit was gone. I was in here. Their idea of a joke. You don't believe me. To the others. You need to get me out of here. We're all trapped here one way or the other. That's true. I can help you. See enough? You find anything? Nope. I know a way out of this place. Get me out of here, I'll do the same for you. You're gonna need me! See, being a fan of Resident Evil, when you see a character who identifies himself as Chris Redfield, you are, oh, who's he gonna mention stars or something? And he says he worked for a military unit. He, he is Chris Redfield in all but name. And so he does say Claire very well. He goes, Claire, it's me. Yeah, um, yeah. Which reminded me of the games. Yeah, As I said, I, grasping at straws. But I think the character of Chris Redfield in the games has changed from game to game quite a bit, the way he looks and the way he 
behaves. He's not quite as definitive as, say, Leon or, you know, mm. one of the other characters, I suppose. It's fine. It's fine that this is the film version of Chris Redfield. <laughs> um, so, so Chris's defence is that he was locked in the cage by the other prisoners. And Luther says, no, Chris is a killer because he can see it in his eyes. And Alice asks Luther, what do you see when you look into my eyes? And then the scene cuts. And I really hate it when that happens. <laughs> I really wish Luther said, you look fucking nuts. You look like you just sacrificed an army of your own clones. <laughs> she doesn't shed one tear for those clones, does she? I'd like to think if I found an entire room of my own clones, I'd feel something about that. It's like she she acts like she hasn't won the lottery, but she'll try again next week. So no sooner have Alice and Claire arrived that the prison is soon under siege with the executioner, the Atsman, um, basically breaking down the gates. And letting... Which he does do in Resident Evil 5, so I mean, yeah. they brought that. I mean, there's no explanation in this film why one zombie has gone massive. <laughs> I looked it up. I looked up his Wikipedia entry uh, for Resident Evil Five, and it actually says there's no real explanation as to why the executioner is bigger. He just he reacted to it a different way. Maybe he's allergic to T virus. I think it's one of those things where maybe if it was a better film, it would be like, oh, this is all just like mysterious. I like not knowing like mm. what's happened it's just like do we need to have an explanation as to why this monster is how it is but with this kind of film where it tends to just shamble from one bad bit of exposition and a vague explanation to another it's just like yeah they just didn't care did they <laughs> it wasn't like let's create mystery around this character it's more just like yeah we'll just plop him in because he was cool in the games I mean, yeah, we, that's the point, though. We say all this, but I still get a little bit of, of a thrill seeing something directly from the games in there, even though it doesn't make a lick of sense. Yeah, it's definitely one of the better realised video game monsters. It does look, you know, pretty much identical. Pretty much identical to Pyramid Head yeah. from Silent Hill, but anyway. But yes, breaks through the gates, army of zombies come in. Meanwhile, they also have to deal with underground zombies which are reverse alcatraz in themselves into the security <laughs> prison it's good very on point explanation yeah <laughs> so they started popping up underground and they've got their leech mouths and everything so we have the survivors scattered they let out chris who leads them to the arsenal and they've got an urban pacification vehicle and there's an armory on site so well no crucially chris says uh, but when all this shit went down, uh, we used a room in the basement as an armory. And when they get to said room, it says armory above the door. And I thought, like, yeah, you, so you use the armory then, did you? <laughs> <laughs> or they just used the room and they just thought, oh, yeah, but we need to sign. Can I do the sign? <laughs> also, the only way to access this armory is by swimming through these submerged tunnels because the pumping system is broken. Mm-hmm. But then they escape the armory through an air vent. Like, then they thought, could we have just used the air vent to get into the armory? Then they wouldn't have an underwater sequence. And again, this is a film filmed by James Cameron's avatar cameras. And again, let's shoot murky water. <laughs> On the commentary, it's interesting because originally they did want it all crystal clear. But then mm -hmm. apparently the set designer, the paint they used 
though waterproof, was not allowed to dry long enough. So when they came to oh. film the tank, it was super murky. And apparently Paul W.S. Anderson was not happy. <laughs> but right. then he was sort of justifying it, saying, but actually, if you think about it, looking at it now, I'm really pleased with how it looks because water wouldn't be crystal clear and it would be murky down there and it creates this sense of not being able to see exactly where you're going and, you know, it's mm. more effective that way. And I I agree to an extent, but also mm. it's just like one of those happy coincidences. It sounds rather like he... Um simultaneously threw his set designer under a bus <laughs> and then also tried to mask his own incompetence. <laughs> or do you so... think that in their hotel room the next day uh, someone opened the door and they were lying there naked on a bed covered in waterproof paint like Goldfinger? <laughs> I wondered where you were going with that. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't trying to paint the fucking corridor when it was submerged, were they? <laughs> Derp. Scuba paint team, go. Mm. But yes, basically the zombies all swarm and there's lots of guns, there's lots of explosions. And I wrote here, reminder, Alice has lost her superpowers as she bungee jumps off the roof (laughs) and forward rolls onto the ground. I mean, she does a diehard type thing where she jumps off this roof with this cord behind her. And I thought, what if one of the zombies stepped on her cord which i mean she's being ch- chased by a horde of zombies so she could have quite easily gone Huck! and stopped short of her amazing jump i wonder with that when you have cords and explosions like the risk of that exploding too in die hard one of the greatest action films ever made they made that whole thing a plot point where his cord becomes untethered uh this film is not one of the greatest action films ever made <laughs> really um, no. She gets to the ground and she starts running to a door where Luther is standing guard. Yes. And she releases her twin revolvers. And I have to admit, this is the first film which made me really think about how inaccurate holding two guns really is. Two heavy guns shooting just into the chests of zombies and things. I don't know. But she, she gets rid of those guns. She produces her twin sh- uh, sawn-off shotguns and she fires them directly at Luther. <laughs> yeah. And I wouldn't really think about this if they didn't follow it up with a shot of Luca reacting as uh, walls explode around him. But she really actually does shoot her guns at Luther, ostensibly to kill zombies. But um, fuck me, I would like... I don't care for zombies banging on the door. I had a very short conversation with Alice saying, look, that's not on, don't do that again. <laughs> but yeah, that brings back the whole looking into my eyes thing. It's just like, what do you see when you look into my eyes? You look like someone who would shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> with two sawn of shotguns, both barrels, four barrels at my face, Yeah, Alice. So their escape plan is now that they're going to head to the showers, go down and... <laughs> <laughs> have a quick wash rinse off you know gotten sweaty they said that it's cold water and i would be i just wanted to have the scene where alice sounds like me in a cold shower where i'm like <laughs> well this is one of the few resident evil movies where she doesn't take off all her clothes submerge herself or immerse herself in water no didn't see anything they their plan is to head down into the sewers which will then go down into the storm drains and head out to sea where they can rendezvous with Arcadia. But in comes the Executioner and the Axeman, and there's that whole sequence we talked about earlier. Completely silently. Like, <laughs> everything everything he's done up to this point is, the, is noisier than a student's house party. He's dragging his fucking 
axe all the way across LA. He smashes a gate. He somehow sneaks up <laughs> to and kills uh, Bennett's assistant like with a massive axe strike, but like out of freaking nowhere. Yeah, he would have had to tiptoe and then very silently lift up his axe without making any kind of noise whatsoever before like plunging it into them. I love this image of the executioner tiptoeing down the corridor going, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> Just like in the, you know, sort of cartoons where they got the little little feet going while they're moving along. But yeah, so there's the Axeman sequence and they dispatch him eventually. I was going to say pretty quickly, but they do it all in slow-mo, no, so it takes a while. Eventually. But when they head into the tunnels, and I, I got a sort of uh, the descent vibe only very briefly because they're only in there for about 30 seconds but <laughs> like uh, Alice is like oh it's like the descent in here <laughs> Alice it's been 30 seconds <laughs> oh we're out again flip but in the lights camera game over book uh, Anderson does mention that there was one sequence where they wanted to incorporate giant worms like the kind from mm. Resident Evil Code Veronica underneath the prison tunnels but apparently Mila said, I'm not fighting giant worms. This sounds terrible. <laughs> I draw the line at giant worms. <laughs> oh, babe. <laughs> oh, babe. <laughs> I can imagine getting back to the, the Anderson household. Babe, please. Four full days. Just the, the worms, babe, please. <laughs> and then, like, he goes to speak to Emiliovich. Emiliovich just, like, holds out her finger and goes, babe. If it's about worms, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Enough about the giant worms. What, what about lava? No, not giant lava. <laughs> not giant grubs. Not giant anything long and slimy. What about a snake? If it was made today, because, I don't know, 2010 is, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 years ago. I can't remember. <laughs> if, it was made to, if it was made today, they would have had a practical zombie gerbil for her to fight and they would have CGI'd a worm over there and she'd be none the wiser. Paul Anderson would be like, it's done now. <laughs> so you, you you should have told me it was a worm, Paul. You should have you should have told me. I've just got now that image of uh Tara Reed in Alone in the Dark fighting that green screen tin of baked beans which they digitally added a worm in. I'm sure as Uabol claims about most things, he was there first. <laughs> While they leave the storm drain, Luther gets dispatched by a man-genie, as they're known, leechy zombie face creature. But then he, you know, winds up alive at the end of the movie, so that's fine, I guess. All, all turned out well for him. I did wonder if the leech monsters bit you or not, because he absolutely was grabbed by the monsters... But he has torn. He, we see him later with a torn T-shirt, but no bite. I guess it's like a way to grab the head, and then if you get close enough, they can bite you in the, between their mandibles. I suppose they do that funny thing movies often do, horror movies often do, where he's grabbed, he disappears just out of sight, and then we hear no noise at all, no screaming, no struggle. I mean, we know he survived. So did he just like wait until? his friends walked off before he he's tried to struggle. I think they just didn't want to have him during the climax. I think it's just yeah. either scheduling reasons or it's just, well, we can't have 
four heroes taking the villain out. We need just three. I don't know. <laughs> maybe Luther was just too much of a badass. Or maybe the giant interior of the Arcadia ship was too much like a basketball court. And he would have used his basketball powers to slam dunk Wesker. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why I'm not a writer. Well, he does use his basketball powers to save the plane from falling off the roof of the prison. He does like a giant leap into the air oh. to, to grab the tail of the plane. and We didn't know he was a basketball player at that point. No, exactly. He would, he would have had to have said, leave this to me, a famous basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, touchdown. <laughs> That's not what happens, Rory. <laughs> Play ball. Strike. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, boats. What about boats? They do make appearances in Resident Evil games. Resident Evil Gaiden on the Game Boy Color. That takes place on a ship, as does a light gun game Resident Evil Dead Aim. And uh, more recently, Resident Evil Revelations. So that's Resident Evil boat news. <laughs> Ooh, boats! But they end up on the on the the Arcadia, and they find out it's an umbrella ship because there's an umbrella logo on yeah. board. So Revelations, and there's two thousand <laughs> survivors on board because Arcadia was a trap all along, holding survivors for Umbrella to continue their experimentations. Uh, including the survivors from Resident Evil Extinction. Just going around the empty ship gave me some old-school Resident Evil vibes. That was cool. And um, I actually, after all the murkiness of most of the film, I really did enjoy this ginormous white room of clones. Yeah, it definitely gives a different feel. Because I think generally, like, the start of the film and the end of the film, the umbrella set locations... You know, they're nicely lit and they look all shiny and it does create a different sort of feel to this film, I say, compared to the previous three in a way. Mm. But also it does highlight quite a lot, just some super crappy visual effects as well. I don't know, this kind of stark lighting and things, it doesn't allow for any kind of tricks to sort of hide just how ropey some of the CGI is in those moments, particularly at the start with all the multiple clones not really mm. looking like they're there. Now, I think I, at this stage, I just have to give the series a bit of a gimme. They are, it's like video game movies with video game special effects. I think it would be more bizarre if the special effects were amazing this film if it was like <laughs> avatar level well isn't this one big family reunion chris and claire redfield you've really become quite an inconvenience for me i told you i'd be bringing a few friends should have brought more. But, uh, yeah, apparently, Wesker's been here all on his own for some time, nomming on humans. Yes, he's got himself a throne, because <laughs> supervillains got a supervillain. I binge-watched uh, Tiger King this weekend, uh, which features the owner of a tiger zoo sitting in a throne in the middle of his tiger pen. And I got that vibe from Wesker. <laughs> He's wearing his Resident Evil 5 leather coat 
and uh, he's got himself a couple of zombie guard dogs and Bennett, who made his escape earlier, is his new subordinate, helping him out. Is he? Is Bennett a zombie? He looks really bad. I would say that maybe he's been infected. He's been teed up. He's been teed up, yeah. But yes, the T-virus has brought Wesker back, but it's fighting with his DNA, so he needs fresh human DNA to balance out the virus itself, which is causing all kinds of... Um, I don't know, monster mouth action. I think it's a fool's errand to try and pick apart like the sequence of events, but did Wesker take T-Virus before his tri-rotor crash or afterwards? I'm going to say afterwards. So he, he was full human and then he his, his plane smashes into his face and explodes and then he goes to the first aid kit, which has T-virus inside. There must have been a point where he was, like, full-on zombie. He had to learn mouth-to-mouth resuscitation on himself. <laughs> <laughs> which is a sight I'd like to see. He's just, like, defibrillating himself every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, he basically needs Alice DNA, because I ingest you, I gain control. I, I whisper that to my turkey dinosaurs <laughs> when I eat them. Um, but uh, yes, because Alice is the only one to successfully bond with the T-virus. So his big plan has basically been to attract Alice to Arcadia, I suppose just so he can eat her. So cue this whole uh, Wesker superpower sequence fairly lifted from Resident Evil 5, where he zip-zap warps from place to place. I guess he did a little bit of that in Code Veronica, but it's, again, a very silly thing in the games, and it looks just as ridiculous in the movie. I, I'll give it a gimme because we often do see this in TV shows where they don't want to pay for choreography, so they say, ah, fuck it, let's just give him fast speed powers. But because it was from the game, I enjoyed it here. The thing is, is that this film was like 10 years after The Matrix and mm. it's just like gone past Matrix parody territory and then into like just, oh, God, you're still doing that. <laughs> it doesn't need to be there. And yeah, he's got his shades and he's got his red flashing eyes. Not flashing. He's not an LED. But yeah, this being an action <laughs> sequence, it's like things must fly through the air, glass must shatter into a million pieces and fly through the sky. Very overly stylized to the point of being just completely lacking in any sort of sense of gravity or substance. Mm. And so it just makes the whole thing seem as, you know, lifeless as a FMV cutscene, which you're not actually playing. Well, they're making a Matrix 4 right now, and we're going to have exactly this in Matrix 4 with um, the fast walking things and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, it does become a bit tiresome a bit quickly. But uh, like I said, I, I kind of I kind of like it enough. And it's got, I mean, it's just full tilt silly and... You know, things keep happening, like uh, Wesker flings Chris and Claire into their own sort of tubes, and Chris thinks the best thing to do is try to shoot his way out. <laughs> <and turn laughs> it's bulletproof. And I kept... He's in, like, 
he's in the tightest space he could possibly be, and then he just keeps shooting his gun. And I was thinking of all these bullets flying around <laughs> the inside like angry wasps. And it must be just so loud as well. Mm. And like the gun flash and everything. Just bad idea. I mean, I could, I could imagine him coming out being like, okay, I've a bit of a mistake. I, I can't hear anything yeah. right now. The rest of the film just has that ringing in the ear tinnitus tone which denotes big explosion in an action film and we can hear what the main mm-hmm. character's hearing but it just lasts for a good 10 minutes <laughs> at one point alice shoots some glass from the ceiling uh, she's on her back when she does this but by the time the glass reaches the floor she's already standing up so time seems to be not only slow motion for the audience but also it's affecting different things in different ways uh, at other places she kits a pane of that glass into a dog. A zombie dog. Yeah. Just not not a puppy. Yeah. Not just Wester's <laughs> Pomenarian sitting in the corner. Hey, that wasn't a zombie dog. That's a normal dog. <laughs> Sorry. I did enjoy how undefeatable Wesker was because they absolutely shoot him, shoot half his head off. His brain is just there. Or, or he's got just a hollow skull. But he hasn't changed his thought processes at all. Which is telling. Claire and Chris just stand there shooting him with every single bullet they have. Mm. And then they uh, lock the nefarious Bennets in the Wesker's chamber. And then the most funny thing happens ever because Wesker is not dead. The rotors of another tricopter, tri-rotor even, um, tilt rotor. (laughs) I'll get it right. Um, the uh, the engines of another tilt rotor can be heard and Alice does a panicked come on as they run to the roof and they are there just to watch the tri-rotor explode because they had hidden yet another pulse bomb in the tri-rotor Jill, I mean Alice did this as a little treat for her friends <laughs> it's absolutely ludicrous yeah she says I didn't want you to miss that yeah, she um, and you know, I watched this twice. The second time, I'm, I was watching Miljovovich's face more intensely than I usually do to see any hint that this is a joke. But no, she picks a really odd moment to like do an April Fool's joke on her friends. <laughs> she goes, "Come on!" and they all run up like there's a panic, and they're there just to watch Wesker's uh, vehicle explode. And Wesker is absolutely an inch away from this nuclear explosion. But he survives, doesn't he? I don't know. I will. We'll talk about Wesker in a future Resident Evil movie episode. I have no recollection exactly the hows and whys of that being. Yeah, I mean, possible spoilers for future films. He definitely does show up, but I cannot remember him saying like, "You thought I was dead." Yes, because I nuclear bombed you, silly. We've killed you four times. <laughs> Fifth times a charm. Bang. <laughs> Six times a charm. So at the very end of this film, Alice basically assumes control of Arcadia. They release all the survivors and she gives a big speech. But that was the original ending. They were going to end on a hopeful, you know, optimistic ending. But apparently the producers were like, well, where's the patented Resident Evil pull-out final shot where we get a little cliffhanger? So that's why we have all those tri-rotors swarming in umbrella is swarming making their way to arcadia just when they thought everything was tickety-boo um you said tri-rotors yeah. but it's tilt rotors 
Oh, don't I think... criticise me. You've been saying tri-rotor yep. too. I think this episode... just is... If we just called it helicopter, we would have had I this know. whole problem. I think this this episode is going to have the most use of the word tri-rotor and tilt-rotor in all our other episodes. I thought just in generally, like, I'm sure there are tri-rotor, tilt-rotor, helicopter enthusiast podcasts out there which talk nothing but. Oh, there's probably... One of our listeners is probably a massive tilt rotor obsessive and every time we say try rotor he's like wincing he's in lockdown he's trying to keep calm but the soon as he gets out he's coming to come and find us you're assuming this is a man yeah sorry it could be a female tilt rotor enthusiast i do apologize all tilt rotor enthusiasts are available hmm. yeah so that's the end or is it because we get a little mid-credit sequence and lo and behold in a cameo role it's Jill Valentine from Resident Evil Apocalypse wearing her outfit from Resident Evil 5 and she has also decided to dye her hair just like the character in Resident Evil 5 as well. I just did not recognise um, her. Like, I just yeah, don't recognise her at all. She knows nothing like her. You would only know again if you'd played the games because that's the outfit, that's the red scarab, her purple jumpsuit, her blonde hair. Mm. So that's how you recognise it. But otherwise it's just like, Who? And I suppose it doesn't make much difference. It's just like, oh, here's this umbrella person coming to get them. So, whatever. But it's... Apparently that was the first shot they actually filmed um, for the movie was that tiny cameo sequence. But it's weird because we have... We've not even mentioned the character Kmart. We have a hundred fucking flashbacks of Kmart. And and basically Alice and Claire are there. Their whole kind of reason detra to finding arcadius it's kind of to find the character kmart from resident evil extinction if they had just one mention of jill valentine somewhere in this film it would have made more sense but i was just deeply confused and even watching it now knowing who it is i'm like she just looks like she's at san diego comic-con <laughs> like cosplaying and i've probably seen better yeah. cosplays of resident evil 5 jill Oh well, so... How are they going to get out of this one? The way they always do. By completely ignoring everything. (laughs) By getting the events of the previous film out of the way within the first few minutes and then starting afresh. To be fair, I'd be a bit nervous being around a lady who sees no issue with sacrificing hundreds of identical looking people. (laughs) If I was a fellow clone in a white outfit, I'd be like, uh... So you just want to create, what did you call it again? A human shield. A human shield. Okay. Yes, it's the best means for my escape. <laughs> Wait. Wait, your escape? What about our escape? Sorry, did I say my? Yeah, I meant that. There'll be a nuclear bomb going off in a few minutes so you won't feel anything. Because you'll be <laughs> shot. <laughs> anyway, that's, um. who knows? I am looking forward to finding out. But uh, until then... Um, what are your thoughts on and this watch of Resident Evil Afterlife? I'm just trying to think if I... I might have... I don't know if I've seen this since the cinema. Perhaps maybe once. But again, as I said, this second half of the six Resident Evil films, they do sort of blend into one. And I, I sort of feel like this is where the Resident Evil films, they assume an identity of their own but having said that so much of it cribs from so many other movies it just kind of packages it in a 
specific way which the subsequent films will continue with. Like I said, it's a mix of slickness and sloppiness. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I, there's a lot of action, but none of it does anything for me. So what's left is just, oh, that from the games. Oh, that from the games. And, you know, uh, dare I say it, I don't think this is the best Resident Evil sequel yet. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's perhaps the most competent, maybe, since the first one, in a general look and feel. But then I go back to just how ropey and hokey so much of it it looks. I don't know. I'm I'm very mixed about this film. I just don't think it really... It, it never really gets going for me. And it's all just very passable, but it seems to just sort of like... Just flash before my eyes and then disappears out of my brain pretty quickly. It never feels like there's any kind of central sort of sequence or real hook to the film. There's nothing to really sink your teeth into. It's just, you know, as is the case with a lot of movies, a bunch of stuff just happens. I think I enjoy the first act a lot and the third act a lot because they are completely stupid, but they have some momentum to them. I think your your problem is when you get to a prison it just feels quite plodding it's quite dark quite plodding i don't think the chris thing is very interesting and um the big central sequence is meant to be the big fight with the uh, executioner which is really crappy so saying that i i just remember a lot more of this film than the later resident evil uh sequels so i think you're right when you say it is the perhaps the most competent one since the first one it does make me long for some of the smaller action bits from the first one. I think out of all of them so far, that feels the most like an actual film. Yeah. But I will admit I have rewatched this more than the other Resident Evil sequels. Again, just for the... I think just because I got a crush on Wesker, to be honest. <laughs> I just, you know, I think... He's bad news, Harry. Stay away. I know. I know. I can't resist. He's a bad boy. He's bad. I like bad mutated boys. I mean, I'd say if you could survive... A nuclear bomb to the face. That's that's. He's a keeper. I could hide, <laughs> I could I could hide behind him. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll get to Resident Evil Retribution. Yep, that's yeah. it. We've got Retribution in the final chapter to go, so it's getting easier to remember their names. Yes, but then we have to start remembering the subtitles of the animated. Oh yeah, get to movies those. as well. So we'll we'll get they get confusion. Yeah. We'll probably do that the way things are going when they do the uh, high definition remake of uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake. We'll <laughs> um, be doing that round again. But for the for the next episode, where we're we're taking, I think, a little bit of a break, can't we? Yes. Yeah, so I didn't realise that when you do a podcast, other podcasts have seasons. And sometimes they don't have to necessarily come every single regular week or every other week as we do. Uh, So we've been doing this podcast for two years or so now, every other week, without fail. But we've decided we're just trying to take a little bit of a break while things settle down. 
when we can be back together chatting away in a room and if it takes a little bit longer than that then we'll come back regardless but it's just a little bit harder to arrange the logistics of at the moment and in the meantime we will maybe pop up every now and then with a, a mini episode we don't think we'll be away very long maybe a couple of months or so but um if we get a hankering and want to upload something we may uh, cover some mini topics on some mini episodes in the interim i was trying to make a pun out of rim but i can't find anything <laughs> i was just thinking of wesker again so i don't know what that says about me into rim job oh god <laughs> yes yeah we were planning to take a break anyway before uh all this other stuff in the world went down and we do of course acknowledge how important it is to have nice stuff to listen to when you're at home and things but um but yeah we're just going to have a little look and we will definitely be back as soon as we can yes there's still obviously over 50 episodes of the podcast for you to listen to. You can listen to all our previous Resident Evil episodes and we cover various other video game movies and movies inspired by video games and video games based on movies. So there's a whole range of material out there for you to listen to. So do please keep on listening and look into our back catalogue if you have not done so already. You can find all episodes of Games on Film on soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod or you can find links via our website gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. You should also find links where you can support the show. So if you'd like to maybe purchase a film for us to review on the podcast, we have an Amazon wish list, which is linked to there. Or you can give us a donation on Coffee K-O-F-I, if you want to help support the costs of running the podcast. We're also on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook at Games on Film Pod. And I am on Twitter at Rory Steele. And I'm at Only Man Who Can. And you can also email us gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. So do get in touch while we're off air with any comments, queries or suggestions. And please do find us on all the various podcast apps and like, rate, review and subscribe. It really would help the show. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Acast, uh other ones i've <laughs> forgotten all of them and the music for games on film was composed by david lightfoot i don't have anything to plug because i'm in lockdown if you, yes if you, nor do i if you want to visit my living room in a hazmat suit i will talk to you about star trek <laughs> <laughs> yes i suppose if you want to keep in touch we'll still be posting stuff on the games on film social media channels as well and you can find us on twitter etc so oh hang on i've got know. an idea here's, here's something a bit fun this is a bit unorthodox i'm playing animal crossing right now so maybe you want to be my friend <laughs> okay um so if you got a pen there if you want to visit my animal crossing island you can find my friend code which is s w two nine seven six Three two eight eight three six eight four. So um yeah, maybe that'll be a bit weird. You can come and have a look at my peaches. <laughs> yes, and our previous episode was Animal Crossing, so do listen to that if you are uh 
I should have, under the yoke of Tom Nuke. I should have called my island Arcadia specifically for this episode, but never mind. It is the burden you must carry. Mm-hmm. Well, I've had a pleasure uh, living in the afterlife, but now I have to get back to real life. We will be back, as I said, as soon as we can. Um, we will be continuing to enjoy the wonderful world of video game movies and um, the sort of not-so-wonderful ones. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to whatever we cover on our returning episode, yeah. um, whenever that might be, but hopefully much sooner than later. All right, well, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Love you lots. Yes. Okay, then. Bye. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Boys, is that any way to treat a lady?